welcome to the Buzzcast, the official podcast of the Stinger Bee League, an unofficial but officially fun Killer Queen Black League. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode. We are your hosts. Uh, over there in this corner is my colleague Blake. Say hi, Blake. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and my name, of course, is Kyle. Hey, 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 to you too. Ah, <sighs> well. Blake, it's been uh, it's been another great week of Stinger B League action. Or well, uh, the first uh, first week of uh, season four, isn't it? It sure is, and I could not be more excited to be back. As fun as the hot summer B nights was, just not the same when there isn't a title online. So just just so so to be back. Me too. Me too. It's it's been great fun. One quick note about, uh, or one quick note from the Liquid Bit team about Killer Queen Black. They dropped a hotfix uh, to address some recent feedback, and now in Ranked, a game will not start unless there is at least one queen or one person selecting the either option per team. Isn't that interesting that that's finally happened? It is interesting. And while in general, I think of a great plan, I do worry what it's going to do to the queue times, uh, because as we know already, there are there are some challenges with that in ranked. But when there are people online, when people are in and playing, it should be fine. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm glad to see that they are planning to monitor how that goes and be willing to, to make further adjustments. That's right. And you know, and it's just in ranked. It's not it's not in online quick play. So I mean, in, in a sense, you've got a situation here where you know what, if it's ranked players that are asking for this feature, then they, you know, they surely they must be already willing to accept that trade off of the longer queue time for getting the position that you asked for. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. All right, well, with that out of the way, let's turn our attention to this episode. Uh, so what are we going to do? We're back to our normal format, Blake, so have at it. Yeah, we sure are. To start off, we're going to review last week's game. Then we'll take a look and preview next matchups. And as for today's topic, well, it was supposed to be a Blake's bag episode, mailbag episode, but there must have been a postal interruption because we only got one letter for the mailbag. Only one letter? Only one. Only one. But, Kyle, I understand that you're ready to save the day here, that you have a backup topic planned out already. Now, uh, why don't you go ahead and fill me in on what that's going to (laughs) be? Okay, so I have had this in the back of my head since... We first started the Buzzcast, Blake. Uh, back when I first envisioned this, I wondered. You know, I actually originally thought of this podcast as being a bit of a of a parody or a satire, as I know some folks in B Game League uh, wondered when they first started listening to us as well. But I thought to myself, hmm, what sort of deep dive could we do? in Killer Queen Black. What could we possibly do that would be satirical? And I thought, what if we had an episode entirely about grass? You know those tufts of grass in some of the levels, Blake? I do. They're a nuisance, aren't they? They absolutely are. As a as a queen main, I Right, right, exactly. So, you know, so I originally had that thought as kind of a bit of a, a comedy or satire piece, but the more we've been playing since we started the buzzcast, the more I realized, hmm, maybe I could actually do something here. So I took the time today to run a bit of an experiment, and well, we'll we'll get into it later. But I am very pleased to say that I have results. I, I, uh, yeah. What's what's the scientific expression for for that? I've, uh, I, I've, I've confirmed my hypothesis. Oh, excellent. I cannot wait to hear all about it. All right. And you will. But we do have that mailbag question that we did get. And uh, we also have to talk about last week's game. So week one of season four. How did that go? 
Well, it was pretty good. Uh, it was, it was, uh, there was, you know, some hot B action. I think, Kyle, I'm going to leave the recap for first match to you because i was too too deep in it playing to really to really uh be able to review it objectively all right so here's how it went in the first matchup snailed it won two sets to one this matchup featured one shutout set by the berry dunkers and two universe point wins by snailed it and a very interesting stat that came out of it is that snailed it got the points for the matchup, of course, for winning the matchup, but that came despite falling short in overall game wins, right? It's in any in any set of, or, or in, in any matchup, you've got the potential for, what is it, up to 15 games to play, I think, and in this matchup, there were 13 games played, of which Barry Dunkers actually won seven games to Snailed It's six games. Now, isn't that interesting? It is. And as, as I've mentioned on the Discord, it it does it did give me pause about the fact that uh, I had been considered and in my role as commissioner, I had been considering changing how our scoring worked uh, to reward people for not change the, the format of the match, but but reward teams for the number of wins that they, they captured in a match, uh, despite the final outcome, in order to sort of account for what we saw last uh, season, which was we saw a team that was, you know, they they were winless in the matches until the very end, but it really didn't reflect their play overall. And I thought that perhaps that was worth addressing. However, we let that kind of lie fallow for now. And as soon as this happened, I was like, darn, I think that's how it should have been. But it's something we can look at for five. Uh, definitely, definitely. By the way, full credit to Adam who brought up this interesting stat to us. I also want to comment on the first game of that matchup because it was really something else to watch as a spectator, uh, in which. Uh, in which snailed it really pushed for really pushed for the economic win. They got ten berries in the hive. At which point the berry dunkers came in and just shut down that econ push. Only two berries left to go, and and snailed it could not get another berry in. Well, they got one more berry in before it, but it took a long time. And in the meanwhile, Mike managed to pull that snail all the way to the other side and get the win. So it really shows that, you know, it's one thing to get uh, to get a bunch of berries in, but going that last mile, getting that last berry against a team that knows how to shut down an economic push, uh, that, that's a challenging situation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It was there were there was some it was fun, though. It was very exciting to play. For sure, for sure. All right, how about the second matchup, Blake? Well, the second matchup had uh, much less to offer in the way of uh, competitive balance. Despite what you and I had predicted, uh, we did not see uh, Courtney and Troya combination work the way that we expected. But to their credit, it turns out it's because that they recognized how how excellent they were and uh, with with the sort of snail and snail bodyguard and and mm-hmm. wanted to branch out and try something new. And of course, when you try something new, it takes a bit of practice to get get that working. So in this case, uh, what we saw is uh, we saw two sweeps. We saw both sets being sweeped, and the. The dynamite, sorry, not dynamite. I was going to say dynamite laser beam. That's our, one of our seasons. <laughs> oh, there's one a throwback. Teams. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, sorry, all the single lasers, Courtney and Victoria's team, they went straight up berries. Uh, we saw it happen uh, in the first game on two. Uh, meanwhile, uh, these notes, they went snailitary. Now, in that first one, 
all the single lasers actually got very close. Uh, they were they had a single berry left. So I mean, even even though this was a, a series of sweeps, it, the, you know, there, you could definitely see the potential for the game plan that all this on there. And mm. so this it, the story was very similar through all three games of that first set. Uh, they we saw it happen on the spire. Snailatory uh, was the strategy that these notes went after. We saw all the single lace berry. Snailatory three on the helix temple, exactly the same. We saw just total gate domination by these notes because of their focus on that Terry objective. And yeah, I, I mean. I could go into detail in the second set, but it really was just more of the same. We saw all the single lasers really trying for the con win. And as a berry boy, I just have to say, I love to see it. I want to see where these guys go with, and I hope that uh, they're able to put the reps in to make this viable. A little birdie tells me that they are, in fact, putting the reps in as we speak, as we record. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But for week one, it was not as, and all the single lasers fell in two straight sets. Who's nuts? You mean they're putting the reps in? They're actually like practicing just tossing berries? They are practicing tossing berries and they may be doing that with a so. Well, how about that? That is interesting. Hmm. That's going to make for an interesting rematch in a few weeks, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, where does that leave us in the standings, Blake? Bees Nuts is in first place. One win and no losses. Snailed it right behind them with one win and no losses. And I think that's actually probably just sorted out medically. So there is tied first. And then that leaves tied for third. All the single lasers and very home. The two teams who lost. All right. So looking ahead to next week's games, Blake, it looks like uh, we have... Uh, well, why don't you tell us what we have? Yeah, in the first matchup, we're going to see Snailed It. Uh, versus all the single lasers. So my team will get to see just how well the practice is paying off for lasers. The second matchup is these moots versus the berry hole dunkers. So yeah, we'll see how these nuts can keep it rolling against those dunkers. Yeah, and you know, the berry hole dunkers, again, despite not taking the win last week, they still, uh, it was seven games to six. They were very competitive. And uh, I think uh, these nuts are going to be in tough against that team. Yes. Well, let's hope. Let's hope it's a good one. Mm-hmm. I think it, I'm sure. I'm sure it will be. All right. So let's move on to this week's topic, uh, or at least I should say, sort of this week's topic. Maybe the, uh, this week's planned topic light, is that what you might say. Sure. Okay. So it's Blake's bag. Cue the music. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Blake, Victoria writes, "Dear Kyle and Blake, I'm a second time writer, first time barrier." Welcome back, Victoria. As someone hoping to diversify in my strategies, I've been looking into the art of mastering an econ victory. Do you think for an effective econ win, must all four, uh, I I think she means three, uh, must all three workers commit to it, or is there a need for some to go military? Well, a very a very good question. What do you think about that, Blake? Well, I I'll say what what I have that, but I would I would also say I would hear your opinion as well, Kyle. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll start us off. Um, so first off, I want to say thank you to Victoria for writing in. And I also want to commend you, Victoria, for taking the the 
jump into trying something new and, and basically starting from scratch. Victoria, as I'm sure most of our listeners, is essentially Hall of Fame snail rider in our league. She sure uh, is. Just, it's just crazy. The snail miles she's logged, the number of wins she's logged riding snails, uh, the number of gills that, that she has as a worker just from uh, her snail eating people. Eating. Anyways, <laughs> I, I think I think that it's safe to say that, that Victoria has a black belt in snail. Probably has no, she's probably hit the ceiling on that. So it's really, really awesome to see uh, someone, someone like that, just take you know take a, a big plunge into the deep end and really try something new. So great, Victoria! So so happy for you, and especially because it's a very so. To address your question, I am going to look at the very your very last um, statement first, and that is that you say, "Is there a need for something?" And I will say, pretty definitively, there is not a need for anyone to go mill because I would say that either way is a viable path on it. There is definitely a time when I would have said that must have all three workers commit in order to secure that econ victory, but I no longer think that way because, really? yeah, really, really, because I have seen the light about how crazy quick even a solo worker can get an econ win when unmolested. Mm. So having all three together is amazing. And in uh, in a vacuum, all three workers working together to secure that econ win can do it in crazy short periods of time. But the fact is, these games don't take place in a vacuum, and you have the other harassing, attacking you, uh, going for their own uh, their own vision. So while you can do it with three workers all going econ, I think that depending on the type of team you're facing and depending on what they're doing, it may be more viable to have one of your workers go soldier, either to ledge the other team, i.e., uh, you know, preventing them from any convent, uh, or harassing their queen, or harassing, you know, if they're trying snail, harassing their snail rider, or defending the your own workers who are trying to go econ from ledge attempts at the other team. So is it necessary? Definitely not. Uh, is it viable? Yes. I would say that both. Both are viable. And and really, a, a, a good team is flexible. And a good team, even if they're sticking with an econ victory, is going to, you know, be flexible and, and recognize what needs to be done to cure that, which could be either of those uh, scenarios. That's a good response, Blake. I, I don't I don't know that I could add much more to that. I I agree absolutely with what you say about, you know, having seen the light and how quickly a single worker can fill up the hive. Uh, I think your point about, you know, the game not being played in vacuum is absolutely true. The reality is that if your team, if you put three workers on econ and to the complete, you know, completely ignoring everything else, you're going to get in trouble, especially if your queen can't keep, you know, can't secure all the gates constantly because, and there's a good chance, frankly, it's almost, it's going to be almost impossible for your queen to keep all those uh, gates. One of the opposing workers is likely going to be able to get in and become a soldier. And, you know, one, two, like a, if you're up against a good team that can respond to what you're doing, you're going to have trouble if your workers are all just doing econ. Uh, well, another... well I, I, unless you're extremely good, because you, you, you know, on most maps, if all three workers are doing straight econ and you're very good, mm -hmm. you, you could be done in 50. You could be done by the time the other builds up. In our league, that's not really likely because no. we're just not terribly good at econ. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I guess the, the other side of this equation is the is actually the snail and one thing that we noticed on shaka when the drones fell during season three was that when we went up against an econ team the snail 
tended to be the faster path to victory. Now, I, I, th- I, I correct me if, if you think differently, Blake, uh, but I think, you know, if we were playing in, in ranked, a really good econ team probably could fill the hive faster than the than a team could get the snail uh, across the finish line. But you know, in Stinger B League, we certainly found that uh, snail was you know was really the fastest path. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very very viable path for us in our league, and I feel segue coming here. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I I will I will or we will segue to that in a sec. But the, the salient point here being that if you're focusing solely on econ and the other team is focusing on the snail and you've got no way and you've got no soldier to go take care of that, I think in Stinger B League, at least the snail team is probably going to win. And, and that, yeah. that sort of ne- out of necessity yeah. means that you can't have all three commit. You kind of have to have someone ready to go and, and take out that snail rider. Yes, in, uh, I would agree in Stinger B League 1.0, uh, Stinger B League, I guess, 2 and 3.0. We're on season 4 now, so we're going to call mm-hmm. it Stinger B League 4.0. I think it's yet to be seen. I think if, you know, if, if all the single lasers are really committed to this and are, are committed to practicing and getting this, this econ thing down, we may, we may see a paradigm shift. But yes, I would say uh, if you look back at the history of our league, yes, you're 100 correct. Okay. Okay, Kyle. So with this mailbag question out of the way, why don't you tell us a little experiment? Okay. And feel free to jump in if you've got any questions or comments as we as we go through this. Okay. Sure. Okay. So again, just just to come back to this, this is about grass. This was my original inspiration for the Buzzcast, and I'm really excited to actually be able to talk about it. Now that being said, I elected to focus on uh, a very particular aspect of grass, which is how grass impacts the snail. And I, I did this for the simple reason that in in the normal play of a game, sure, the queen can get held up by the grass, but the queen can also, you know, fly or or dive and get uh, get out of the grass. A worker can get held up by the grass, but the worker can also jump through it. So a queen or a worker has a pretty easy way of avoiding the grass if they want. So my feeling is that grass doesn't impact workers and queens the same way that it impacts snails. That's just gut instinct. I have that aspect I have not tested, but does that make sense intuitively? It does. Yep. And I think okay. that you chose a very interesting to have a look at. Okay. So here's the methodology and it was really simple. I just took a stopwatch and I timed a single worker moving the snail from A to B. Uh, I, this was in a few different scenarios, but most of the time it was, you know, from map to map. Uh, I just timed the snail going from the starting point uh, all the way to the end, and I recorded how long it took. And then I also noted the number of snail miles uh, for a given map, and snail miles, also known as as pixels. Uh, let's face it, our snail yeah. miles, our, our snail miles are pixels. Yeah. Uh, and then I compared the times and distances and speeds for each of the maps. That's the methodology. Very cool. So what is it that you found out, Kyle? So just to put a little bit of more context around this, the other big thing that I want to do with this is I wanted to test some of our assumptions, okay? And by that, I mean, you know, we've heard some things bantered around that, you know, we assume that the nesting flats is the best map for a snail victory. 
we've assumed that the throne room uh, with its snail dropping through the floor, that that snail warp is somehow an impediment that makes the throne room unappealing. And I mean, you and I talked about that in our throne room preview episode, didn't we? Yeah, we sure did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's what I wanted to do. So you, you, your question was, what did I find out? Okay. So let me tell you a couple of stats up, uh, up front about grass. First off, one tuft of grass is about 190 pixels wide. Now, <laughs> based on the nesting flats tuft, okay? Now, okay. That, that's, that's relevant uh, because some maps, the distance that the snail has to, uh, has to travel is, you know, longer or shorter than others. So 190 pixels... Uh, of impediment could be, you know, quite quite a lot to traverse when, uh, you know, like the nesting flats, for example, is 520 pixels from uh, from where the snail starts to yeah. to the gate. So 190 pixels is what is is about a third of that. So you're spending a third of your time moving the snail through grass, right? Oof, wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. The other thing I found out is that when you're on the snail, you travel about 40% slower through grass than you do when the snail is unimpeded. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if there's no grass, you're traveling at a speed of about 35 pixels per second. But when you're going through the grass, you're traveling at about 21 pixels per second. Okay. Right? So again, in relative terms, that could be of huge consequence. Like, like 40% is nothing to sneeze at, is it? No, definitely not. No, especially in a, a game of tiny, tiny windows of. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to that uh, a bit later. But you know, if there's a few scenarios, a few maps, and I don't think we we often give it a lot of thought. But there's a few maps where there's actually a lot of grass that a snail potentially could have to travel through, and that forty percent slowdown actually stands to have a major impact on the efficiency of using the snail as a path to victory. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The other thing I learned is that the vertical travel on the snail, when the tra when the snail drops through a uh, well, drops off of a ledge, or when it drops through the floor in the throne room, uh, that vertical travel has basically no impact on the speed of the snail whatsoever. That's very interesting. I, I guess because it's also moving forward, or what? I, I guess it just it did not seem to impact in any substantial way, uh, the time it took for a snail to get from A to B, it did not seem to impact the speed of the snail. Uh, there, there's a few different maps that where the snail is moving the same number of pixels, like the spire, the throne room, the pod there, it's all moving 920 pixels, but the speed that the snail is traveling at is about the same for each of, the, each of those, uh, regardless of you know, regardless of how many ledges it has to go through, you know, in the pod, the snail doesn't drop on any ledges and it travels around 35 pixels uh, per second. Uh, the throne room, it's dropping four ledges and it's traveling at about 35 pixels per second. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, what that means is that the the snail warp, the snail dropping through the floor in the throne room is is really just a, a ruse. It's It's totally psychological. Okay, you know? that's very interesting. Yeah, it, it it has absolutely no consequence on the ability of the snail to actually get to the gate. It doesn't impact the speed at all. So wow. Now the other thing, and I'll go to this in more detail, but uh, the other thing I found was that some maps are very punishing if you don't claim the first ten percent of the snail miles. And I'm looking here at the split juniper and the spire in particular that whichever team, basically whichever team gets that jump on the snail at the start of those two maps has a real advantage 
over the other team. Yeah, when I'm thinking about those maps, I, I can picture it and I can imagine exactly why. I won't steal your lead here, but I, I think I, I... So, Kyle, what would you say is the best snail map? Okay, so it's a good question. So again, like one of the big assumptions I want to test is, you know, is the nesting flats the best map? We, we look at it intuitively. It's the shortest distance, right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but is it really... Because like like look at look at the map. The snail starts in the, in the middle on the ground floor. What's on either side of the snail? Uh, grass. Big old tuft of grass and 190 pixels of it. A third of the distance that that snail has to travel is through that grass, right? Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So third the, of the distance. Wow. Mm-hmm. So is is the grass enough to make uh to render the snail uh to render the nesting flats? Uh, not the best snail map. What I found is that, strictly speaking, in terms of nonstop snail, technically speaking, sure, the nesting flats is the best. If you can get on that snail and ride nonstop, you can cross that, uh, you can get to the gate in about 19.35 seconds. That's not including the time that it takes for a worker to, you know, spawn, run down, hop on the snail and go. That's from the time that the snail is you know, or that the worker jumps on the snail and is going, right? Yeah. So, so okay, sure, 19.35 seconds is the fastest, and 520 pixels is the shortest distance of any map that the snail has to travel. But what that leads to is that on the nesting flats, the snail travels at a pace of an average of about 27 pixels per second, which is by far the slowest average speed. Really? Of, yes. Wow. Yeah, uh, in fact... In any other map, if the snail can go from A to B, they are entirely like if they can go from the center of the screen to the nearest gate, they can make it completely unimpeded by grass. And they and in all those cases, the snail is traveling at about thirty-five pixels per second. Okay. All right. Yeah. So the he- so by contrast, the helix temple, which is six hundred ninety pixels for the snail to travel, uh, you can do that in about twenty point one seconds. Right. Not a lot so- longer. No, not not at all. In fact, uh, in fact, close enough to be you know pretty much statistically you know irrelevant uh, enough to make them more or less identical. Uh, yeah. But in terms of speed, uh, on the in the Helix Temple, you are still traveling at thirty five uh, uh, pixels per second, and so you know it's about the same time. It takes about the same amount of time to travel thirty three percent further in the Helix Temple. Okay. Okay. And that's due to grass. That is. Due to grass, exactly. And there's no grass in the Helix Temple, but you've got that tuft right off the start on the nesting flats. No way around it. So you've got the situation where visually it looks really tempting to go for the snail, but in practice, you know, it's right on the same level as some of the other maps. And 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 actually what I found in this is that you really have two tiers of snail maps. So generally speaking, you know, is there a best snail map? I would say that there's really two there's really two sets of maps here. There's some that are that are simply faster than others. So the top tier, you've got the nesting flats, the Helix Temple, the Tally Fields, and the Black Queen's Keep. Each of those takes about 20 seconds nonstop on the snail. Okay. Okay. Uh, then the second tier, you've got the pod, the throne rooms, the split juniper, and the spire. Those cases, those are your long ones. Those are, you know, 920, 910, 920 pixels each. Uh, it takes about 25.5 seconds nonstop. Okay. 
twenty percent more time. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's yeah, that's uh, that's twenty five percent longer on uh, on those. So generally, generally speaking, if you had to choose uh, whether or not to ride a snail on any one of those maps, well, you're probably going to fare better on the first four, Nesting Flats, Helix Temple, Tallyfields, and Black Queen's Keep, than you would uh, in the others. And bringing it back to what we were just saying about berries, when you've got a team that's efficient at putting berries into the hive, 25.5 seconds can may as well be forever. Right, yeah, absolutely. Like, do you can you recall off the top of your head some of those videos that you've seen of, you know, a single worker, you know, filling the hive? Like, how quickly can can they do that? Yeah, I, the one that comes to mind is Helix Temple, and I want to say it was about 20 seconds for a solo, right. solo record. Right. So, you know, now that's about the same length of time as it would take to, you know, to do the snail. Um, but you've got to think that on some of those other maps, if, uh, you know, if you can put the berries into the hive in 20 seconds, then 25 seconds is, you know, not going to cut it for, for snail riding. But that is the minimum amount of time. 25 seconds is the minimum amount of time that you're going to have to take in uh, in the pod, throne room, split juniper, and spire if you want to ride the snail. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So if I had to choose the best snail map, I would I would look to that first tier, Nesting Flats, Helix Temple, Tallyfields, and Black Queen's Keep. And I'd say that... All other things being equal, it's going to come down to interestingly not necessarily the not necessarily the grass, but it's going to factor into it. It's going to boil down to in practice which map can you get to the snail most quickly after respawning. Okay. Oh, that's right? actually that's a great point. Right. Yeah. Why and why? Well, because there's there's a I mean you could add seconds to the time depending on depending on how quickly workers get there and and as we know a nonstop snail is very unlikely because it's like a berry victory uh, snail victory not it also doesn't exist in the vacuum the other two going right after exactly so my feeling is that uh, and again I haven't put a stopwatch on this but I would say that it's a toss up between the nesting flats and the black queen's keep right there's there's a sh there, in both cases, I think there's a very short and direct route from your spawning point to the snail. What do you think? Okay. Yeah. 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 Black yeah. And ah, if you man, yeah. Okay. So if you are if you are you know trying to get a snail victory and you've got someone that's spawning, respawning, respawning, that's that's going to really add up. Uh, that's really going to add to your time. So the closer you are, the better, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say it's down to those two and. If I had to choose between it, I'm gonna I am gonna say that the grass is going to make the difference here. I think the grass in the nest nesting flats makes it a less desirable map if there's a snail tug uh, tug of war happening there, uh, because you know in the nesting flats if you can get the uh, the snail past one of those tufts, then to bring it back, you know your for your opponent to bring it back is uh, it has to go through two tufts, right? right? And that's going to take a long time uh, for that snail to get back, and and again, like the, the nesting flats, I, I I really feel that the perceived advantage of of using the snail there is strictly psychological. So I am going to say that because of that, I'm going to say that the Black Queen's Keep gets the edge as being the top snail map. Yeah, and I and that was that. Now that was my gut feeling, but I wanted to corroborate this with some evidence, and so I went back and I looked at the Stinger Bee League. 
uh, results from season three. Uh, and Adam, of course, uh, has the meta estimate about uh, success rates uh, for attempts, whether you're, whether you're attempting a military, attempting an econ, attempting a snail. And uh, for our league, about 88% of snail attempts on the Black Queen's Keep won, whereas only about 73% of the snail attempts on the Nesting Flats won in season three. Well, there you have it. So not only is your premise backed up by um, a solid explanation, it's also backed up by data. I think you sold me, Black Queen's Keep, a snail map. Not just a snail map, but it, it is the, the snail, snail map. map. Okay. Yeah. Wow. 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 Of course, as a berry boy, I like to think of Black Queen's Keep map, but you, you present a very compelling case. Thank and you. no grass in Black Queen's Keep. No grass. Uh, so, you know, tug of war has minimal, uh, minimal consequences. Uh, it is it is actually relatively short pixel wise. It's only six ninety pixels. It's only about twenty seconds to get there. So yeah, it's it is and and then of course that deciding factor is that short distance from the spawning point to the to the snail. Okay, there you go. So Kyle, if we were to take a step back and look at the experiment as a whole again, what would you say are well, how about your three main takeaways? So I did want to come out of this with some conclusions and. Basically, here's the three things I found. First, I, and I think this is the most important and the most practical one, and this all boils down to, again, the consequences of, of grass and its impact on the snail. On the split juniper and the spire, there is incredible value in being the first team to get the snail off of their initial ledges, right? So mm-hmm. picture the split juniper, right? Split juniper, it starts on that, the snail starts on a ledge, yep. and if once it gets down from that ledge, uh, for it to go back to the uh, the other way, it would have to pass through basically two grass tuft widths of grass. Yeah, yeah. And I I timed I timed this, and you know if you take the snail uh, from you know from the center directly to the gate uh, on the split juniper, it takes about uh, it takes about twenty five seconds. You're traveling about thirty five pixels per second. Yep. But but to bring it back the other way, you are traveling. Uh, like if so, if the, say the blue team brings it, to, you know, brings it just off of the ledge, and then you know loses its snail rider, and then the gold team hops on the snail and brings it back through those two tufts. Yeah. One, you're traveling one thousand and seventy-two pixels. Yeah. It takes about thirty-six seconds to make that trip, and you're traveling at about twenty-nine pixels per second on average the rest of the way. So 36 seconds, again, is a long time. And, you know, that's on top of the five seconds that it took for the first team to get the snail off of that ledge. And in the spire, it's even worse. Uh, If you get, you know, okay, so I mean, thinking about the spire here, have you ever really taken the time to look and notice that there are five tufts of grass in the spire? I have noticed. Again, as a queen main, though, they're absolutely my bane. But if, you know, we've already said that, okay, yeah, they're, it's a nuisance, but as a queen, you can jump out of them. As a worker, you can jump out and, or over them. So why, if you look at it, that grass is there really to mess with the snail riding. Yeah. And if you get on the snail and can do a nonstop snail for your team, then that's great. You, run, you go unimpeded in the spire. You can cover that in 25 seconds just fine, no grass impeding you. But as soon as that snail falls down one ledge, it's got to come back through a tuft of grass if, you're going to, if your opponent's going to pull it back. Right. If you get it down another ledge, now there's two tufts of, gl- of grass that it has to go through. And if yeah, you get it, of course. Yeah. 
yeah. if you get it down one le- another ledge further, again, two tufts of grass. So just that first, uh, just getting the snail off of that first tuft uh, takes that speed from 35 uh, pixels per second down to 30 pixels per second, right? Yeah. So, so sorry, let me jump in here for one second. I feel like, man, even if you are, if you're playing on one of those two maps, even if you are not seriously planning to sue a snail victory, there's got to be some value in just just pushing the snail in your direction at least to the point where the other team would then have to go through a tuft of grass to get it back. In if if only to to take away the viability of that path to victory for your opponent. You could just you could you could get it, you know, drop it down so they have to go through grass and then just get off the hill and going else. And you've 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 kneecapped them significantly. Exactly. They are facing a scenario where they're going about four they, they'd be traveling about 40% slower uh, to bring that snail back, right? There you go. Now compare this to the throne room, for example, where there's no grass. Dropping down a ledge means your opponent, you know, sure, has to travel a bit further, but in the throne room, they don't have to go through grass to get back. So it doesn't matter how many ledges it, the snail drops, uh, it's going to still travel back at 35 pixels per second. Oh, wow. So if you know you're playing against a snail team in the Split Juniper or the Spire, then there's a real advantage in just getting that snail off of the ledge to start uh, with, you know, even if you have no intention of actually pursuing a snail victory for your own team. Mm -hmm, Yeah. So the other takeaway is that it really is an illusion that the Nesting Flats is the best snail map, right? Yeah. Like it it may be technically true, but we're only talking milliseconds here. So you know, it it's a really short map, but in practice, the grass slows you down so much that it's no faster than any of the other twenty second maps. Right? Huh, funny. That's it. Really, is it's such a mental thing. Like, just I have a hard time changing my perception on that, but I see what you're. Yeah. And if I was to go for a third takeaway, I would say that it's uh, you know we talked about the best snail map. I would say at the other end of the spectrum, the spire is by far the most punishing snail map. Uh once that snail comes down off of its first ledge, you know, kind of like the split juniper, you get it down off that first ledge and it really slows it down. But in the spire, if you can get the snail down off of not just one, but two ledges, then, you know, uh, it becomes really difficult to get the snail back. And if you can pull the snail, you know, three ledges down after that third ledge drop, it takes it's 1543 pixels and 52 seconds to get the snail back from uh you know from one side of the map to the other through those two tufts of grass. Woof. So so essentially it's no longer practically viable at that point to get a snail. It, it, other than to prevent you from victory, but but a, a snail victory for for the the team that down that was not is not viable. I wouldn't think so. I don't think that any strategy that involves 52 seconds of doing anything in Killer Queen Black is a realistic strategy at all. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Not to say that we haven't seen plenty of games go that long. And, you know, even in ranked, my gosh, some games can go for a really long time. Well, you know, well past that. But as a strategy, trying to say, hmm, why don't we try this? It's going to take 52 seconds, but let's try it anyways. I I don't know. I I just don't see that happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a long, it's a long time to plan for. I mean, even if a game is going to take that long, you're not planning for it. you're going to take that long. Mm-hmm. So, so that's it. That's that's pretty much the end of my experiment, Blake. And uh, like I say, it's uh, while 
it's predicated on, on grass. Obviously, I'm talking a lot about the snail, but uh, really, you know, there. I don't think the grass impacts anyone more than it impacts uh, the speed of the snail. Uh, and so I think it, I thought it was really worth looking at at that as a in terms of a, a deep dive, uh, just to see, you know, it, does grass impact the snail? And I, I the answer is an overwhelming yes. It's a forty percent reduction in speed while the while the snail is in the grass. Uh, and there's a couple of maps where they're clearly the liquid bit uh, level designers had their thinking caps on when they put those tufts of grass down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, I only I only wish that they had done that in the throne room because that you know if they had put down grass traps on the map so that when the snail fell through the floor, it had to it would have had to have come back through a bunch of grass as a result. That would have been that would have been great. That would have made it. That would have made for a real legitimate punishment for uh, for falling through for bringing the snail through the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As it is, it's just kind of a fun novelty. Yeah, exactly. It's it's more uh, it's it's more psychological and visual than anything else. Yeah. So okay, well, Blake, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of our episode, and uh, well, <laughs> I, I I would say that uh, next week's episode is going to be a surprise. What do you think? I think it is going to be a surprise, and it's very exciting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I, I'd like to say that we've planned it out thoroughly. <laughs> oh, I love to tell lies to you. <laughs> okay, well, we'll figure, we'll figure it out, and uh, whatever it is, you can be sure that it's going to be a great next episode, right? Absolutely. Okay. All right, well, let's wrap it up here then, Blake. Uh, how about a thank you to all of our listeners? Well, I would like to thank all of our listeners, but I would also like to thank you, Kyle, for the incredible amount of work, uh, time, and energy spent on conducting these cool snail experiments. I'm sure that our listeners appreciate it, but I know for a fact I appreciate it. Well, you are most welcome, and it was, uh, gosh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, the results were not what I was expecting, to be honest. Like, there's, there's some surprises there, like finding that there's really two tiers of maps, that's you know, two tiers of snail maps. That was that was an unexpected outcome. Yes, but one that is, is very interesting. It really is. It really is. And uh, maybe our next mailbag episode, maybe some people will have some more questions about uh, about the grass and the snails. And uh, who knows? Maybe some people can actually uh, pipe up and uh, hey, drop us a line and let <laughs> us know if uh, you have experiences with grass that you'd like to share. Boy, that came out really not quite what I was expecting. But. No, please do. I love it. I love it. Okay, thank you very much, everybody. Thanks a lot, everyone. Good night. The Buzzcast is a non-commercial podcast and has no official affiliation with Killer Queen Black, its publishers, distributors, or developers. The Buzzcast theme song is Beasting by the band Low Doses and is used under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.